You're listening to UCW Radio. In your face. What we got here is a failure to communicate. Oh, have I got your attention now? Please relax the word. It's good. You know what I mean? Money to be made in a place like this. Money never sleeps, pal. You're crazy. Don't run when you lose. Don't whine when it hurts. You know what it takes to sell real estate? It takes brass, 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 brass. I'm falling, and I can't get up. Hey! All right, welcome to Money Never Sleeps. This is the show where we talk about everything and anything that impacts the flow of money globally. Now, before we get into anything tonight, uh, over the weekend, we lost a really important figure on Wall Street. In the world of business, she was a pioneer of sorts. You know, during the mid-1960s, she was brave enough to take a leap of faith and became the first woman to ever own a seat on the New York Stock Exchange. And this was, a, this was at a time when it was an all-boys club. She opened up the doors wide open and paved the way for so many women not only on Wall Street, but in the world of business, to state their claim and not allow anyone to tell them that they couldn't do a thing because they were women. So uh, Mickey Siebert, you know, was and will always remain the first woman of finance. She will be sadly missed, but her legacy will live on in the world of finance for some time to come. All right, now, if you've been watching the precious metals market, uh, you'll notice that gold has continually drifted up over the past several weeks. Uh, Everyone has an opinion on this, and in my opinion, I really don't think gold belongs where it is right now. I mentioned this several months ago uh, that, in my opinion, gold at some point in 2013 uh, may well drift down into, I don't know, the $1,000 range, if not lower. Uh, granted, I'm not a gold bear, but the rise in precious metals has really nothing to do with supply and demand in the physical metal itself, but more of the uh, increased activity in ETFs. Uh, with that said, you may see a bump as uh, a lot of weddings are uh, going on. Uh, you have wedding season uh, in play in India right now. So, uh, And I say this because India, not China or the United States, India is a large consumer of gold. And it's really interesting because when gold is acquired over there, it's rarely ever sold back into into the markets. So people, you know, give gold as good luck gifts and so on and so forth, and thus creates a flurry of activity during that time, just for the short term. Uh, anyhow, I just think that it's probably overvalued at this point. Um, you know, it was only about well, under a decade ago where you had gold at the four or $500 range. So a uh, big bump up that I really don't think will sustain long term. Again, I'm not a gold bear, you know, but it's the reality of things. And something really, really interesting, and we're, we're probably going to talk about this further uh, during the show, but something really interesting is happening in Richmond, California. Uh, the local government is making every attempt to impose eminent domain in order for the city to seize hundreds of mortgages from banks like uh, Wells Fargo and some other major banks. Now, these are mortgages where the homeowner is basically upside down. The value of their home is worth less than the mortgage itself. So uh, Richmond, California, along with Detroit, Chicago, and so many different cities across the nation, they're facing the same issue of home values being, you know, worth more, actually worth less than what the, what the mortgage itself is worth. So now, here's the kicker. If the city of Richmond, California is successful, I promise you this, that many other states will follow suit because they would have set a precedent. And that means that banks, pension funds, private equity firms, uh, any organization that issued a mortgage in these depressed areas uh, will have uh, losses on their hands in the hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars. And again, you know, with that, you know, in, in my opinion, the banks are not going to lose their investment. They're not going to lose their investment. That's not how it works. Uh, but they, however, they, they will get fair market value for their loans. Uh, this could potentially boost the housing market as many of these homes won't go into foreclosure and, and uh, it kind of stops that process over there and it can help the cities bounce back somewhat, potentially. 
So it can be a good thing, but the banks, you know, I, I think they just need to work with the cities as opposed to battling in court because at the end of the day, you know, the cities may just win the government's constitutional power of eminent domain and seize those mortgages. So, um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting thing. Now, let's uh, go into the business of Hollywood. If you're a film fan, a comic book, book, book fan especially, then you've heard the news that Ben Affleck, uh, he's been chosen as the next actor to play Batman. And this is going to take place in the Batman versus Superman epic film that's to be released in 2015. Now, there has been a lot of commentary on this. So on social media, the news and opinions and everything uh, have been flowing all over the place. Uh, the, look, the reality is everyone has an opinion. Okay, uh, and honestly, initially, I was thrown off by the choice and thought it wasn't a good one initially. But then I thought about the story, and, you know, at the end of the day, here, you're talking about, you know, a film making money for Warner Brothers, okay, making money for the studios and uh, creating jobs, so on and so forth. And if the franchise, actually, this actor does good, then the franchise continues. And I thought about the story of Ben Affleck and Ben Affleck's success and going from writing a screenplay with Matt Damon when he was younger to actually uh, getting lucky enough after a struggle to get sold, and that movie was Good Will Hunting, and got an Oscar, uh, first time out, and then a string of successes, uh, another uh, awards and everything, and he developed and built up uh, in, in entertainment, from acting to directing and, you know, becoming a, uh, a real force in um in Hollywood, which is really interesting, when you when you when you're looking at both ends of the uh, the deal, you're a you're a director and you're a successful one, and you're an actor and you do well at that. You can see it from both ends. So basically, you enhance the project because it makes it easier for them to work with you. So him being an accomplished director, uh, I think uh, it, it'll make a world of difference. And he understands what it takes to make a movie and being an actor and so on and so forth. So I think Warner Brothers, at the end of the day, made the right choice. Uh, since Christian Bale didn't want to reprise the role, but I think, you know, financially it's going to work out for them, and that's what it comes down to. It comes down to the dollars and cents and how successful they can make a big-budget film because these big-budget films, they go, uh, the budgets are, you know, $200 million plus. So they have to make that somewhere, you know, movies like Iron Man, so on and so forth. Especially Iron Man made their money uh, within the first, uh, I think, the first two weeks. So uh, this is going to be interesting. This is going to be an epic film. All right. So now it's time to find out what's going on in the world according to John. So please join me in welcoming Ario Capital's John Dennis to Money Never Sleep. <laughs> How's it going, John? Hey Lou, it's uh, glad uh, glad to be on the show tonight. We we had some uh, pretty interesting things take place in the world of private equity that uh, I think your listeners would uh, like to uh, to hear about. Yeah, definitely. Let's let's get into it because you know private equity, uh, you know, for the benefit of our listeners, you know, they 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 force situations. They're able to you know these a lot of companies that you see out there that are big now. They they got funded initially through private equity, so I mean that's the catalyst, the bigger thing. So uh, yeah, so good. Uh, yeah, a couple of things that a couple of things we can start off with is uh, about as we as we talked about last week were some of the regulatory changes that are taking place, and then also some of the some of the trends that are taking place in private equity and technology, so that um, uh, we can uh, also kind of update the listeners as to. Um, uh, some of the some of the trends they may look for. Okay. One of the one of the first things I thought was really interesting was uh, last Thursday, um, the uh, Nasdaq uh, shut down for for three hours midday, and yeah, uh, and and of course um, the uh, SEC hired uh, a new member uh, on the commission, uh, former Republican Michael Pinoir who was an economist by trade, is now working with the SEC to study these markets and look at uh, uh, market structure reforms. And um, uh, he mentioned in an article that back in, in March 
they had been looking at some regulatory systems compliance called Reg SCI, which would hold these agencies and, and exchanges um, uh, accountable for and prevent outages and cyber attacks and other technical problems. Um, so I, I think it's it's rather interesting as we were talking about uh, regulatory changes and technology that, that here we experienced a, a major market uh, trading platform that was down for three hours. And you know what the most interesting thing about that uh, was, John? They, they were down at about 12, I think 1220. They didn't come up till I mean, it was over three hours. Now, and, and during that time frame, don't you know that they refused to give any comments about it? They refused to notify the public. They refused to notify and tell anyone what was going on. They just said that the system is down. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean. Look, we, you know, look. We, we we had a situation. Just you're talking about this. Facebook, when they went public, it was a big fiasco. All right, and a lot of firms they they were penalized. They had to pay back to investors millions and millions of dollars. Okay, right. because money was lost and everything. I don't understand. Now, if the NASDAQ, you know, created, had this problem on their end, and it wasn't to any fault of any traders, anything else. It was whatever happened technically on their side. Now, how, I mean, there's no, there's no repercussion. There's no fault. Right, right. Uh, SEC Chairman uh, Mary Jo White said late on Thursday that she would call a meeting with the exchange officials to discuss regulatory uh, paths going forward and press ahead with reforms. Uh, <laughs> these reforms, though, she talked about, uh, of course, would uh, uh, provide guidance on security and stability and, and also uh, propose uh, uh, necessary changes for system disruption and, and uh, industry-wide uh, type of backup systems. And, um, you know, I just think it's rather interesting that, uh, uh, you know, that uh, Mr. Pinoir, who took uh, the, um, uh, came on with the SEC, said the exchanges cited a number of concerns, including costly and unduly broad requirements to disseminate information to member firms. (laughs) (laughs) So... He said these events raise fundamental and investor protection questions, uh, and that was about the only thing that that I saw that was released on uh, on Friday by Reuters. Yeah, I mean, I personally don't think you know they're going to do anything uh, dramatic. I, I know that the confidence in the Nasdaq, you know, has has slipped. You know, the New York Stock Exchange has been that that whole that the whole uh, conglomerate. Uh, has been a driving force, and NASDAQ trying to keep up with the Joneses, um, this little glitch, you know, just proves that you can't, you can't go all machines. The New York still have they have people there. They have people right. that can make decisions on the spot. NASDAQ, you're right. talking about machines. You know, right. uh, NASDAQ, I mean, they're, they're trying to make everything electronic, and I, and, I, and I know the CEO of the NASDAQ, when all this happened, I, I, I pictured this. Well, this is what I pictured. <laughs> That's all I pictured. <laughs> well, okay. if if you and I were to to do something like this, if we had a company listed on the Nasdaq, I'm quite sure we'd be penalized financially by yeah. the Nasdaq. Yeah, and and that's the thing that that kills me is that you have companies that were actually trading. You had companies that couldn't trade. You and and you could have traded away earlier on. But then they stopped it. They went and they requested from the New York Stock Exchange for them to stop trading in Nasdaq uh, listed securities, okay, Class C shares. They they prevented them from doing that, and 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 throughout across the board, and they didn't want anyone to trade. Now, I mean, I I I don't know how that's possible, and I I think that you know there's definitely a big uh, disconnect there, you know, no pun intended. <laughs> that was good, Lou. Yeah. Well, it's it's but, you know it's it's a problem. It's a definite problem. Right. I, I uh, just also got an update from uh, Private Equity International, and they talked about um, 
RegsWatch uh, uh, updates on changes and regulations for private equity, and a few things they also mentioned was ERISA liabilities for private equity funds, mm-hmm. and uh, they're also talking about a, a recent SEC bad actor provision for hedge funds, private equity funds, could unearth unethical backgrounds of executives and securities lawyers. And they're talking about this recent regulation uh, for legal backgrounds of those who sell private equity securities could lead to nervousness and layoffs among hedge funds and private equity executives, according to SEC lawyers. Why are they they doing that if you know, I mean, this is what throws me off with that, all right? If you're a stockbroker, you're a, you know, the best you're doing, you're in a, an investment advisor, and you're you're taking people's money in, yeah, I understand it. You need to verify X, Y, Z and make sure, you know, that you're regulating it properly. Now, for someone to actually go and make introductions for a private, private equity fund, they're not actually touching your money. They, they, they're not even doing it. They have no decision-making capability in what you do. Because once, once, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but once you introduce someone to a fund, they're talking to the fund directly. Right. Right. Okay, and, and so, uh, I mean, how, how does that regulation to, help? Right. And they're talking to uh, uh, CFAs who uh, have taken that extensive three-year exam who, um, you know, are, are very analytical. And, and then they're also talking about uh, one thing on the positive side, um, a new update uh, to bring uh, existing investment laws in India that may be beneficial to private equity firms. And I know myself, I've earlier this year experienced the horror of dealing with private equity firms in India that um, have little regulation and um, have um, – a little accountability uh, mm-hmm. in the United States, um, and uh, it's a it, it's been a problem, and it, it's and it's always been uh, a subject of of, um, of um, not uh, curiosity but but trepidation mm-hmm. um, on the part of um, of most um, private equity investors, um, similar to the trepidation uh, of investing in. Uh, firms from Africa, right? Well, I mean, because you you don't know what you're dealing with, and you know if you if they, there's no regulation on the other end, with especially in your business, you know they they can make a, a deal with someone you introduce to them, and then all of a sudden, you know they can they can get they can get funded and you know never talk to you again. Yep, everything and, everything and, uh, can unwind. Yeah, in a heartbeat, in a heartbeat, you know. But, you know, in business, how, you know, your ethics in business, okay, it, I mean, it's it's important. And when people, you know, especially in private equity, when you do something like that, you know, word, word gets around at some point. Right. And, and then uh, some of the some of the trends that uh, we're seeing uh, in technology, of course, are um, uh, enterprise software companies and uh, also data center technology. Uh, there is um, an article that was uh, recently in uh, Forbes on uh, Silver Lake Partners, um, uh, which has also taken a um, an interest in uh, technology, um, and, and they've They've kind of specialized in in technology. They've focused on that sector uh, quite a bit, um, and they're seeing more trends emerge in uh, the, the storage market, uh, the storage management, cloud-based storage, uh, data. and what they big, right, big data. right, and what they call solid-state storage. Yep. Well, big data, and that's that's that right now. You know, you're talking. And that, that's the future, um, and that's going to be the, the next big trend because big data, you know, you talk about the storage capacity. Hewlett-Packard, they, they have, um, they're creating things smaller, 
uh, they're creating the service smaller, so you can actually, you know, have more of them. And right. with these companies that are that are providing the service, like Amazon and a few other companies that are doing this, they're going to continue to be around and grow because everyone is trying to capture that big data. They're trying to find out and how to use it. Right now, they're, they're, you, you have all the information. They're trying to figure out how to use it, how to advertise right. to you, how to how to utilize that to to uh, I guess change the world yet again. And, and we we, yeah, we worked with a, uh, a firm that uh, was uh, raising capital for uh, construction of data centers, and they were able to uh, build out uh, the data centers for about half the cost of uh, the competitors uh, in the marketplace, and um, and that was back in 2010, 2011. Um, and of course, I think I think back then it was a little before its its time, um, and and I think that uh, it, it, it people were were throwing up a little resistance because I don't think anybody really had a handle on 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 the whole data center storage uh, outlook or, or or need for that uh, that typical type of. Um, uh, of sector uh, within technology. Isn't it interesting that's always the case? That That's what happened when the Internet first began. People didn't know what it was. They, they didn't know. They said it's not going to last. They did that with television. Said, hey, this is a fad. It's going to go away. <laughs> it's the Internet. Oh, now I, it's a fad. It's going to go away. And yeah. cloud computing and, and that type of uh, – and it's just going to get it's just going to get deeper and deeper. And right. you know, technology is getting more advanced. So we look at Google with what they just did. I don't know if you heard the news, but this happened, I believe, last night. That they they're putting in a patent for this technology. It's uh, called paper uh, paper gaze. You know, when you look at advertising, you have to paper click. But this is for their Google Glass, which they'll have advertising on there, and it, it is able to gauge when you're looking at the ad and and it's, it's how your emotions are at that moment when you're looking at the ad. Very interesting stuff. But, um, again, technology. Just technology is well, getting more and more advanced, and that's that's what it comes down to. Oh, I can recall, Lou, back in the late 90s when uh, Sprint and, and uh, um, Verizon were were just uh, getting into the, the the cell phone market, and, and the uh, capabilities of the cell phones were uh, widely unknown. And I can recall talking to many institutional investors about uh, the capacity of the, of the cell phone. And of course, uh, back in '98, '99, uh, people were were kind of looking at me like, you know, you know, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. And look at it now. You have smartphones, smartphones galore, and that's what it's about. You know, um, you know, basically, when you had, you know, cell phones way back when, there was your cell phone. They, right. they were just you make make a phone call, you text, and that was about it. Okay, uh, but now it's just going to get more and more. You have you have a computer in your hands, and it's just going to get more interesting because now you have uh, companies like Samsung and Sony that are coming out with the bigger screens. Like you have a phone that's a tablet, right, right. And then Silver Lake mentioned they acquired a company that is in uh, the emerging solid state storage market, and and they they state that uh, although it's fairly new company and it's already a two billion dollar market, they're forecasting that market to grow to ten billion over the next few years. Well, let me ask you something with private equity. Um, now, when a company like Silver Lake a fund like Silver Lake, or the funds that are out there that are true private equity, when they invest in these privately held companies, now, do, do they have a mandate in their corporate charters that when the company goes public that they have to exit? Um, it, it, Lou, it all depends on how the deal is structured. Uh, sometimes that, that that's the predominant uh, uh, exit strategy that, um, yeah, when, when it goes public, uh, they have to exit it. From their fund, uh, of course, uh, the the private equity firm is handsomely rewarded, but um, but in most cases that's true. Yeah, because I mean it was just 
interesting because when Facebook, you know, went public, a lot of private equity firms had to exit, and they had all that excess money. And you have companies now that are benefiting from that because now you have all this excess money, and they're looking, they're trying to find the next big thing. Right. You know, the next big right. thing, you know, you know, I mean, they're dealing with the cloud and data storage. Yeah, that's big. But what's also big is, is how we're going to be living in the next five years. You know, right. and, it, and it, you know, you have, yeah, it's interesting. You have kids that are, you know, just in college or they're out of college and they're they're creating these apps and they're doing it because they saw the success with Facebook and then with Tumblr and, and all and then Instagram and all these all these projects, all these companies, and they're using it as a get rich quick scheme. Not not scheme, but get rich quick deal where they're creating it but not with with not any way of monetizing it. Well, I like I like the latest new app that I saw on the news that now uh, you can create uh, put this app on your phone where uh, wherever you're at um, in the world uh, you can uh, have a drone parachute you a beer. <laughs> I don't know how much that I, I don't know how much that beer cost, but it's it's probably a pretty good alternative to to rather than having drones targeting U.S. citizens. Having the drones yeah. target you with a beer. Yeah, <laughs> that's 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 funny. That's funny. I don't know how many people would would get that, but I guess if you're <laughs> if you're stuck in a jungle or in the desert and you needed a beer, there you go. Hey, if that's you're at a Yankees game and you're in the stands and you're too lazy to call the guy and to give you a beer, or you don't want to pay for his beer, and you can have a drone just parachute you a beer down. Yeah, well, you know, if you're if you're in a, a, a Yankee Stadium in the first place, <laughs> you should question that. But uh, <laughs> other than that, you know, but it, 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 it's it's interesting, it's interesting, you know. But I I, I think that um, I think that times are changing, and I think that you know technology is going to continue to change. And I think you know with private equity firms, you know, as, as we talked about earlier, it depends on what deal they strike. But I think uh, a lot of times they have to exit once the companies go public. And, you know, the next deal that's going to go public is going to be Twitter. And when that happens, you're going to have a lot of money exiting that too. And right. it's going to be interesting times. Now, now on, on, uh, go, ahead. go ahead. No, I was going to say on real deals, uh, the, the uh, private equity uh, voice of, of uh, European private equity, uh, mm-hmm. they're talking about um, in Europe and the U.K., that the three areas are of uh, technology they're looking at are mobile, wireless, SaaS, and the cloud and IT services. Mm-hmm. So those uh, those are uh, and they're shifting from late stage uh, private equity to to lower and middle market private yeah. equity. Well, they should they should because you have a lot of good companies. You have a lot of good ideas that are flowing. And you have people trying to put stuff together, and they just don't have access to the private equity that they need. And these private equity funds, you know, if they if, if they're not restricted by by the uh, the governance and their charters, you know, for them to jump in early stage with these companies that have you know that have a product, not just an idea, because someone can have an idea, and they have ideas all the time, and they look for seed money. Okay, but they need to have something that's that's viable that you can see. If you can see what they're doing and you can see what's happening, then uh, then you you may have something there. So that that's that's my opinion anyway. All right, you know, and they and they state that uh, mobile technology is the largest information technology trend since the arrival of the personal computer 25 years ago. Yeah, well, if you think about it, only a third of the planet has a cell phone. Okay, right. and I, I, there was there was this movie. It's funny. Okay, uh, oh man, it was with Nicolas Cage. All right, it was called Lord of War, and it was it was a it's a movie about you know the someone that supplied uh, that ran the arms, you know, in Africa and everything. But there was something that that he said in that movie. I just thought about, you know, they they were giving stats, and the stats were only X amount of. Uh, of uh, was it one out of 
20 or 30 or 40 people or something, you know, have well, armed in that part of the world. And he said, he said, that's not my problem. My biggest problem is how am I going to arm the, the other, you know, 39 or 40 people? You know, so it, it's the same it's the same concept there is with the cell phone. You know, you have one-third of the country, uh, the world that have mobile devices. You know, now the big problem is, or the, the issue should be, that how do you get mobile phones in the hands of everyone else? Because that, that changes right. the game. Right, and, and, that, and that, they, they mentioned a company, uh, Wireless Logic, is the largest independent operator of machine-to-machine communications sector, and the market is anticipated to grow more than 30% per year. Well, well that's going to be interesting. It's going to be some interesting times. In private equity, you're going to have a lot of companies benefiting, and uh, it's going to be interesting. So now well, let me ask you a question. Now, what do you, what do you think about the eminent domain in, uh, in Richmond? Uh, California. I I think that that's going to create uh, a lot of problems. Hmm. I think it's just uh, it's just amazing that and and what 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 are they going to benefit by doing that? I mean, I, I'm not sure I have a handle on 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 where their where where their benefit is. Well, I think what they're trying to do, that they see a lot of people going on there and getting foreclosed on. People get foreclosed on, they have to move. That means you're moving people out of the city. Just look at Detroit. So you foreclose, people have to move. They have to go where they can they can afford to live. So right. now these houses aren't selling. So now these houses are going to foreclosure, so it's bringing it on the market further, which you're going to have more houses underwater and more people just abandoning their homes, leaving their homes or losing their homes through foreclosure. And it could destroy a city. So I, what they're trying to do is they're trying to make a deal with the banks. Say, hey, you know, we'll buy the mortgages. They're going to pay the banks fair market value. But, but who's going to who's going to give California, state of California, the money? Private equity. Fund? Private equity. Okay. I thought maybe it was yeah, another government uh, bailout that no. was going to increase our deficit. No, no, they that they got a guarantee from a private equity fund. I forget the name of it. But the private equity fund came in, and they guaranteed them. They said, we will buy the mortgages. Okay. Well, I know in the past, Lou, that uh, back in 2009, I raised for um, for money for a a residential REO fund. And after 2009, 2008, 2009, the banks got their lawyers involved, and it, it became very difficult to get a hold of those bank tapes and to access the inventories of the various banks that had these REO properties. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that um, if a private equity firm is going to step in and give uh, these guys whatever, 60 cents on the dollar, mm-hmm. uh, 70 cents on the dollar, and uh, and bail out these communities, then um, I think there's definitely an opportunity for for these private equity firms to to make a, a sizable profit. Yeah, I, I think. Look, in my opinion, you know, I'm looking at it, you know, short term and long term. If I'm a bank and I have mortgages, I have, let's say I have 100 mortgages in a particular city or you know, a particular community, and these mortgages are upside down. And these people can't pay. Now I have to go pay to go through the foreclosure proceedings, take back the property, where now if I go to sell the property, I'm selling it at a loss. So I would rather have a bird in the hand than two in the bush. Right. And, okay. and earlier you mentioned that the banks aren't going to lose money, but I don't I don't see how their balance sheets cannot reflect losses if indeed they've got a loan that's set at two hundred and fifty thousand and yet, when they short sale it or or um, or sell it uh, as a foreclosed uh, deal, they're going to get 125 for it. So someone's got to pay that uh, difference of that loss, and then someone is liable for some capital gains taxes because, according to the IRS, if I've got a mortgage at 250 and I short sale that property and get 125. The difference is actually profit, according to the IRS. Even though it's a loss, 
But on my personal taxes, the IRS considers that a profit and a capital gains tax. I mean, that, that that's a code that they need to change because that doesn't make any sense to me. You know, if you if you have to short sale something, okay, then you wind up having to pay taxes on that. On, it doesn't. That's crazy. Right, because according crazy. to the IRS, they feel, hey, you've gotten out of the liability of $125,000 scot-free, so mm-hmm. therefore you, uh, you've gotten out of that liability, and that's a profit, and you owe us tax on that profit. Yeah, that, that, I mean, we, we have to go into further discussion next week on that because that makes absolutely no sense to me. And then talking about making no sense, you, you've been speaking about this for so long, okay, yeah, even before, uh, you know, Obama got reelected and, and all this fun stuff happened. Um, what, what's going to transpire in October? We're hitting a ceiling again. I don't understand. How do we go... We, we we pull out and we pay back debt and do all this stuff. We're selling, you know, all this interest in AIG and 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 Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae, and the government's taking it and they're selling off these assets and they're making a profit on it. How are we hitting a ceiling in October? That when that is possible that the United States won't be able to pay its obligations. Uh, Lou, I remember back in the Clinton administration, Newt Gingrich shut the government down for two weeks. And we didn't hear all the uproar that we're hearing now from the Obama administration, from the Clinton administration. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just interesting to me how, you know, there's a, this blame game going on severely from this current administration but if you look at but but if you look back, you know what what years were was uh, was Clinton in office? Oh, it was back in the nineties. Okay, now we we we're in the social media age, so no one can be quiet. That that's that's another problem. There's right. no no speakers. You can't be quiet. You're too connected. You're too connected. Twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. Right, but but we didn't hear the Clinton administration come out so strongly against the Republican Party and blame the Republicans, and it's all the Republicans' fault for mm-hmm. shutting down the government. There, there wasn't that, that negative um, news uh, that hit CNN or, or Fox back then uh, mm-hmm. against the opposing party. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just, I, I, I don't understand this whole administration. I really don't. From... You know, us, you know, the United States constantly being, you know, at, at the brink of, you know, I'm, I'm going to call it bankruptcy because that's pretty much what, what they're saying. You know, we get our, our, our credit rating cut down, which is is what it is. Um, the, you know, you have the government, you know, as I said earlier, selling securities and making a profit. So where is all this money going? And then on top of that, you have Obamacare where you have companies like SAP and other companies that are actually, you know, re redevising their their human resources and their their insurance uh situations to you know to to accommodate to that because they wind up losing they're going to wind up losing a lot of money. And if Obamacare was so good, then why is it that Nancy Pelosi and all of her cronies in Congress opted out? Of Obamacare, because it, you know Obamacare is going to cripple companies in the United States. It, it really is, and it, it's a big concern. And I mean, how can they? I mean, what they're going to initiate with that is going to create such a ripple in business that you can have more companies doing business outside of the U.S. than inside of the U.S. And if they, you know, because there, there are rules with that, too. Now, you can have more part-time workers than full-time workers. Right. But the problem is with that, if you have someone that's even a part-time worker and they're a salaried employee, you have to give them insurance, which is a further problem. Right. And we're we're going to see, we're gonna see uh, the United States go become a, a part-time society. Yeah, that's not good. And, and not what good, also no. people don't realize, Lou, is that, that these extra taxes 
that we're going to get hit with. And, and of course, the average Joe doesn't realize how much it's going to impact his pocketbook. But trust me, come next year, 2014, when it's fully implemented, and the average guy making $40,000 a year or more is going to get hit with a minimum of $4,000 in additional personal taxes. And uh, as we see this uh, occurring, of course, my belief is that Main Street right now is not matching up with Wall Street. I, do, I look at, at the equity markets right now as a, uh, of a coffee table with three legs instead of four. And, mm-hmm. and, of course, the weight is on the three legs. But my belief is that as soon as Bernanke stops with his $85 billion a month bond, bond buying program for the Treasury Department, that interest rates are going to rise, equity markets will tumble, and, and that's when the average guy is going to see his 401K dip dramatically mm-hmm. like they did years ago when they were all complaining about how they had to get a second job at Walmart as a greeter because their 401Ks were down so bad. And on top of that, when they get hit with that 4,000 additional personal tax liability, they're going to be livid. Mm-hmm. You know, they they, cause they don't realize this because they're not being told in plain English. No. They're hearing the, 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 the rhetoric and all the lip service that the political lip service has given to them. All right. right. You well, know, they, he, you know, a rosy picture is being painted. But you know what? What's the reality of it? You know, I mean, get a mathematician in there. Do the numbers. I would love for a mathematician to sit there and do the numbers, say this is what's going to affect you. If you make it 50 grand a year, this is your impact, and this is what's going to happen to you. Right, right. But but he stood there on TV and said, if you want to keep your doctor, you can keep your doctor. If you want to keep your existing plan, you can keep your existing plan. We don't want to disturb the relationship that you have with your physician. Now all I hear is from the Democrats is that, well, it may cost a little more, but everybody's going to be really happy if they have a pre-existing condition like cancer and now they can get coverage. So, so go ahead and don't worry about the cost and how much extra it's going to affect your pocketbooks, but you'll be glad when you get cancer and you, and you don't have to worry about those pre-existing conditions. Uh, and you know, and I, what I see them doing too is this is where it gets very interesting. Is that they're they're promoting this? It's like it's like a sales tour. They're promoting oh, yeah. this to, to, to these uh, college kids, these yes. young these young people, twenty five between I think between eighteen and twenty five or eighteen and thirty. Uh, they're they're promoting it to them and selling it, to, trying to sell them the package. Right. I do this the best thing. You're in great health. This is perfect for you. But all it is about getting the money from them so that they can deal with with people that are sickly. You know, I understand people are sickly. You know, they need health insurance. They need medical help. So the government should actually go and step in and help. But they're taking it from from the from everyone to go take care of everyone. It's, it's, right. It's, it's, it just doesn't make any sense. Like you're forcing someone to do something. You know, it's it's what is that? Socialism, communism? What is this? Right. And what they're not telling the average public American is about how these additional taxes and costs are from Social Security, uh, all these entitlement programs, Medicaid, Medicare. These are the three biggest things that are going up and and our deficit continues to skyrocket and and of course now thank god somebody is saying hey let's do away with spending that two billion dollars a year on obama phones mm-hmm. well you want to know something it's interesting and i i was talking to someone just because i was curious and i had to ask because i knew that this particular person was you know, utilizing, you know, um, the public services. And I, I asked, I said, why? I mean, you have two legs, you have two arms. You can get up, walk your butt, and go get a job. So, yeah, I can go do that. But guess what? I'll be making less than what they're giving me. So right, what's the right. What, what, what incentive are they giving? You know, they used to have job programs where they would go and put people to work. Right now it's like 
it's a handout, the money, the checks come in every month. They go and they pay their rent. They get their food. They do whatever they have to do. And the reality is they, they get lazy and they figure that they're entitled to it and they don't go out and earn a living. You know, and, well, that, that, and that, that's the problem. Fox News, Bill, Bill O'Reilly uh, uh, showed that surfer guy out in California uh, yeah. who was proud of the fact that he doesn't have to work. All he has to do now is surf. And he gets a free handout, and, and they said 16% of America now relies on food stamps. And, of course, there's so much abuse in that program. People are sure. taking those food stamps and going to strip joints and and using that money to go to strip joints. Well, how about this? They, they utilize that for drugs. They utilize that for a lot of things, you know, but... We, I mean, no one, no one talks about that stuff. You know, no, that's a no-no. You know, um, granted, you have people that actually really do need it. You people that right. really do need it, okay? And that those people should get it. But yeah, I say it again: if you're if you're thirty, forty years old, twenty years old, you got two legs, two arms, you can go work, get a job, <laughs> get a job. Whatever you need to do to take care of your family, you know that that's the way it should be. And and, and again, the, you know this this whole situation it, it trickles out to even a, another problem. Okay, college. All right, I saw I saw that the, the numbers today, the the stats on it. That I think what was it in two thousand five? I think um, what was it uh, like? I think between the ages of forty and fifty that the, the college tuition debt in 2005, I think it was like like $2 billion or something like that. And now, you know, today, it's like 15 or 30 or so, some crazy number. And if you're 60, they, they had this, this for someone that was 60, the age group is 60, that it went from $8 billion in 2005 to $80 billion, which, I mean, for college... Okay, yeah, this is the debt that, that, that's, that's accumulated. They, no, they've I said, mean, Lou, now that, that college debt has uh, outpaced uh, the debt for uh, mortgages or for uh, other programs, and that college debt now is, makes up the largest portion of U.S. debt. Yeah, that, that, that I have a problem with, because you have kids that, uh, that have this, this vision, because it's not like it was a long time ago. They have this vision, all right, I'm going to go to school, have the college experience, then I'm going to get a job because I went to college. And that is not true. I mean, you, you, I mean, you can go to college and have that old experience, but I think even the universities are actually filling up the schedule with things that are not essential. You know, they're, they're saying that, hey, it's an experience. Sure, it's an experience, but guess what? You're going to go pay, you know, you know you're going to be in debt for like 300 grand for an experience. That's great. How are you going to pay that back when that three hundred grand turns out to be one point five million dollars by the time you're forty? Right, and and they also said on the news that the more uh, that the government uh, extends those student loans, the the more the colleges accelerate the cost. Mm-hmm. Yep, and then they keep adding on and adding on and adding on, and I think it's a sad situation. You know, granted, I mean, should should uh, should these young people have the opportunity to get an education? For sure. Actually, better than that, for damn sure. They should. They need to be educated. But there are different ways of doing it. Have online programs. Make it cheaper for them. I mean, do do something, you know. And uh, it's, it's just it just amazes me how you have to go in debt and there's no guarantee when you come out that you're going to have a job. There's no guarantee. No, and, and- and I think part of that, Lou, lies in the universities. I recall in my undergrad degree, it was from the Harvard of Aviation. No one said to me or any other student at that university that when you get out, uh, it could take you anywhere from 5 to 15 years before you start making uh, a reasonable salary uh, and 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 get close to even a hundred thousand dollars a year mm. after spending a hundred thousand back in in the seventies for your education. Yeah, and just imagine if you didn't pay, you didn't pay that back, what that hundred thousand would be today. 
So, yeah, so so a lot of these universities, <laughs> yeah, they don't they don't really uh, tell the students the the full story. It, 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 you know, it's kind of like our current administration who gets up there and and uh, and, and tries to sell uh, all of these different programs. Well, at least when you get a mortgage, they tell you what you're going to want to bang at the end of thirty years. Right. You don't. Right. You don't. That doesn't happen with with the, with the university or college. You know, they don't no. tell you that. Hey, you're going to take out this loan, or you're going to get this grant, whatever the case. You're going to take out this loan, and this is what this is what's going to happen. You know, over this amount of time. And I think if right. they pay it early, I think there's there's a there's a penalty for that too. Right. And and they don't talk to the students. Excuse me about. Um, what type of competition is going to be out there in the marketplace when you do get out, and and if, and who are you going to be competing against? Are you competing against the guys from Wharton, Harvard, Yale, uh, Princeton, uh, who are uh, have these uh, prestigious d- degrees, and uh, and they're all fighting for for the same. Uh, $40,000 a year job or $60,000 a year job. And, of course, a lot of these kids coming out, I've talked to some kids who come out and expect to make $100,000 a year uh, their first year. Yeah. Yep, they they have delusions of grandeur. And it's, it's and that, that that's the fault of whoever's guiding them while, while they're in school. Okay, and that's, I mean, you can't paint the picture that, hey, you, you get out, you're going to get this type of job. You have you have you have people graduating MIT, the highest in their class, that are not getting jobs. Right. The way life is, you know. Yeah, but you know, honestly, you have more tech positions than 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 any positions out there. You know, they they're like Wall Street. Way back when, you know what? You had an opportunity to actually go and build a career. Now, very difficult. Very difficult. Right. But I, I think also, Lou, there's a there's a difference in the work ethic of that younger individual graduating. I think there's also an entitlement issue um, that is is kind of like the entitlement issue of of what Romney said. Forty-seven percent of Americans d- depend on the U.S. government for for a handout, and and I know even my own daughter, 18 years old, um, has that type of entitlement attitude mm-hmm. and 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 it's disturbing because I never I, I always brought her up to to work hard and and told her you want to succeed you have to work hard but but these but the kids today they've got a different outlook well that's because you know they're they're being this this picture is being painted to them Okay, they're not creating this image in their head themselves. No. All right, you, know, you have so many things. I mean, even discipline. Uh, as kids are growing up, discipline. You know, you, you have to be able to, you know, when you have a child, you got to raise them the right way, and you can go raise them the right way. It doesn't matter. If they're going out there and they're hearing things from other people and they're seeing what the government, if, if they see that the government is doing this, hey, it's okay, it's okay. We, it's okay to be like this. It's okay to be dependent. It's okay to, to to believe the system because they're, they're saying right. it's okay. So it must be okay. You know, this, these these are our leaders, so it must be okay, right? Well, and they see in the news that a guy surfing all day long and getting paid uh, food stamps and not have to work, and, and and they think, hey, that's a pretty good deal. Yeah, and that, that's sad, you know, because life there's more to life than than uh, having a handout. But you know what? We, we hopefully things will change. With that, uh, I think that you know you'll you probably hopefully you'll get a lot of hungry um, graduates that come out and able are able to actually do something and create jobs. But the the reality is with this Obamacare and everything they're doing that's hitting the ceiling, you know how can a, even a company like Google or Apple how can they go and create jobs here if they're going to get slapped when they're doing it? You create a job, well, you give someone a job, then what do you do? You know, like with the housing, and this is the thing with the housing. We take more houses off the market. That means more building can happen, which you create. You you create things. You people have to build. That's those are jobs. And you know, more people are owning houses. They're not they're not being foreclosed. I guess what people are mowing your lawn. They're painting your home. 
They're fixing the pipes, fixing the wiring, and all this stuff's happening. You're creating jobs, you know, via housing. So there are a lot of different things that need to get done, but if you start taking those jobs off the table, the initial jobs where you can have homeowners and, and have people, you know, actually working and, and, and contributing to, to, uh, to the economy, it's going to blow up in our faces. Well, as I said, I think I mentioned it last week, Lou. I, the trend that I also see taking place is, as I mentioned, that more and more of these uh, small business owners who are going to be acquired by the private equity firms because they're 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 going to get fed up with the taxation, the heavy taxation, and health care and corporate taxes, personal taxes. Um, and and they're going to take that golden parachute and get bought out, and you're going to see deal flow increase across multiple sectors because of of this administration. So I I think that the the silver lining in this gray cloud is that private equity will benefit and and will increase, and we'll see more and more of that deal flow as uh, as next year comes into place. Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of that deal flow because private equity could sustain things a lot longer than uh, a private company on its own. And and I was talking to someone about this today. I I just hope, you know, even though if Obamacare goes into full effect next year, you know, I just hope that the next administration that comes in, you know, does something about that. But Congress can actually step in and do something, you know, because I feel that this is going to really – this is going to cripple uh, the uh, the job creation rate. It's going to have to cripple it because, you know, who's going to want to go and hire more people? So you go hire more people, your expenses are even higher than before. So how could you how could you afford it? All right, and then on top of that, you've got uh, some of these uh, states uh, lobbying for fifteen dollar an hour wages. Yeah. Seattle, Seattle, they're looking for right. fifteen dollar. Minimum wage, right. and that right. is insane. Right. Okay. Right. So, so what, you, what, what, what we're going to see, Lou, is I think Obama's already talking about extending it uh, from October till next year sometime. Um, he's hand-selecting the, the, the portions of the law that he enacted and, and uh, trying to get an extension. And I believe it'll be, it'll be extended – Maybe into 2014, late 2014, but come 2016, I, I think that you'll see it repealed because there's already petitions going around to have it repealed, and yeah. um, and I think that's going to be the the predominant issue um, uh, on the uh, campaign trail um, in 2016. Yeah, well, I think that that's going to be the case, and uh, again. I think for the, for the immediate future, we're going to have some issues going into next year. You know, and as far as companies creating more jobs here, I think if they were given the incentive to do so, that they would do, they would even bring the manufacturing here. The car companies would bring the manufacturing back. And wouldn't wouldn't it be nice to have Apple manufacture here? Wouldn't it be nice to, for all this stuff to happen in the United States? You know, but it's not. And I don't think that's going to happen anytime. So I think that's that's pretty much what we're we're dealing with, John. Well, let's uh, let's talk again next week, Lou. Yeah, definitely. So now, you know, before uh, before we go, um, why don't you you know give the listeners information on how to find out more about you know what you do and you get your input because you have you you have your blog, you you write a lot of things about private equity, and I'm sure that, that our listeners would want to know. A little bit more about it. Well, I, I've uh, just posted a, a new uh, article on my blog about uh, growth equity versus venture capital, and they can look at it at www.reocapitalllc.com, and then click on uh, our blog page, and uh, uh, and then also on our news page, I've also. Uh, posted um, that um, Ario Capital is speaking out on Money Never Sleeps with uh, with Lou. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, and then also uh, we're going to have a Money Never Sleeps uh, magazine, a digital magazine that's going to be coming out, and you're all, you're going to have special articles in there 
where people can read. So we're going to let everyone know when that happens. But uh, I, I do, uh, you know, thank you, John, for coming on the show again. And we're having a little, we're touching on a lot of topics that are actually going to be helping a lot of people, I believe. So uh, we'll we'll do it again next Monday, seven o'clock. And uh, we'll, I'm sure we're going to have a whole host of <laughs> more other topics that we're going to touch on uh, because every day something new is happening. But John, right, maybe the Nasdaq that. will go down again, Lou. Oh my God, yeah, <laughs> we we don't need that issue, you know. But until then, I, I hope everyone has a great trading week. And just uh, be informed. Do your research. Do your homework. And uh, read articles. Read whatever you can read to educate yourself. And we'll be back with you next Monday, 7 o'clock Eastern Time, right here on Money Never Sleep. You're listening to UCW Radio. In your face. What we got here is a failure to communicate. Oh, have I got your attention now? Relax. Have It's good. You know what I mean? Money to be made in a place like this. Money never sleeps, pal. You're crazy. Don't run when you lose. Don't whine when it hurts. You know what it takes to sell real estate? It takes brass, brass, brass.